0: Disclaimer, no one who wrote this question has actually seen Dirty Grandpa. In honor of Dirty Grandpa, what's a movie where you thought an actor was slumming it, but it ended up being good?
1: I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with Liam Neeson and Taken, because who saw a giant franchise emerging out of that random movie? That is pretty good, unlike the sequels.
0: Hey, it's me, David the Seven, Bill Murray in Zombieland. I knew his cameo was coming and had low cameo expectations that were pleasantly exceeded.
2: I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with uh, Johnny Depp. Everything after Curse of the Black Pearl, Pirates of the Caribbean. You you've liked him in everything since. Alice in
1: Wonderland.
2: Yeah, I think he's pretty. I think he's pretty good. I mean, I would point directly to Chocolate Factory, uh, Charlie the Chocolate Factory. There's a there's a movie that no one needed, that everyone
3: thought was a cash in, and I think it's pretty good.
1: Have you seen Have you
3: seen Charlie and the Chocolate? I can't. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm David Rolick, and I'm going to also go with Liam Neeson, because I didn't have an answer prepared, but I think Katie had the nose in the head, the, uh, the nail on the head. There we go. Uh, <laughs> Liam Neeson is always heartfelt in all this garbage, and I always uh, see the pain behind those eyes. So I don't know. Out of a hat, I'll just pick his performance in uh, Love Actually.
0: Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good then. Well then, as you say, we're both coming
1: through fine.
0: Good. Well,
1: it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine.
0: I agree with you. It's great to be fine.
1: It's It's a a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode one hundred and three for Tuesday, January nineteenth, two thousand and sixteen. Fun fact: On this day in nineteen oh seven, the first film reviews appeared in Variety. Does that mean Variety is more than hundred years old? Like it was around before nineteen oh seven? Yeah, you tell? Or The
0: internet lies on the day of history things. So you know, I either mean, way,
1: I, I the internet has never lied. So, you know, congratulations, Variety. That's some serious longevity you got there. Uh, before we get started, I hear we have some reviews have or reviews. one review at least. Wow.
2: I hope they're written in variety speak. What a yarn this podcast oh. is.
1: Uh, what What's the cue my favorite <laughs> podcast variety speak this week? <laughs> is,
3: uh, a pro- prosti. Odor? For prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah.
1: I'm, I'm uh, partial to odor uh, <laughs> for Westerns. not odor.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: no, I think odor yeah. is just it means uh, the same the first thing for them it does for super us.
3: Super Joey, who says, excellent. Fighting in the War Room is my current favorite podcast. The hosts are all thoughtful, and they each bring a unique perspective to the table. Based on their endorsements, I've been inclined to take a look at films I would have probably dismissed. Most recently, I adored Carol. Ding, 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 ding. Hey! And had a great time with Magic Mike XXL. Please check out Fighting in the War Room if you're a pop culture junkie like me. There you go.
1: This guy really has your number, David. Or you have this guy's Uh, number, I guess.
3: It does indeed. I'm glad that he has enjoyed the films that I've also enjoyed. The other review is from Jeff E. Burnett, who says, "Woo." I'm pretty new to the podcast, but love it already. (laughs) The theme song even gives me chills. I just love hearing people talk about movies, TV, pop culture. I also like to see them talk about it on Twitter. So I'm sorry for having been and continuing to fave tweets of all yours when you're having a conversation. Especially Dave Seven, since I've been following him longest. It must feel like I'm butting in. I'm so excited to listen to past episodes. Thank you all for the hard work that you do. I I think I can speak, Jeff. (laughs) <laughs> safely for all of us, that faves are always appreciated.
2: There's nothing my ego hates more than having my tweets favorite. Please don't
3: worry. Uh, don't worry about it.
2: Wait, you forgot you to read baving. one review. I think from January oh, 13th.
3: I, uh, yes,
2: um, yes, I did. Uh, sorry, this is, <laughs> it's the our perhaps our most objective yes, review. Is, I ever. think so. Uh,
3: from the coward, although the opinion they did give us five stars, very. Gracious, appreciate that. That is a subjective stance. Uh, the cowardly underscore Leon says, Katie, Matt, Dave7, David, and Joanna. <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's true. That is a,
1: when you include Joanna in the lineup, that is an opinion that says that you prefer when Joanna's on the show, which is a commonly held opinion. Even though she's not a uh, permanent member of the roster. She's getting there. She's like, let's do more podcasts.
0: I'm like, make a schedule, Joanna. And she did. It's going to be crazy.
1: That girl. She can't be stopped. Uh, Thank you for all the reviews. Please keep faving our tweets and also leaving reviews. We like them all. We
2: need more reviews, to be quite honest, because right now, um, Little Gold Men, Katie's other podcast, is is higher on the like top one hundred chart on all of chart. It. on
0: everything. Yes, yeah, so no we, have, no to be, we have, have to be Katie's. They call for reviews. They do these
3: fucking <laughs> seasonal award <laughs> podcasts. It's like the the they do them for like movies. It's like the Ice Age podcast for like when an Ice Age movie. No, comes that's out. it is true. Uh, it is true that yeah, they our skyrocket. podcast is also
1: run by Twentieth Century oh. Fox. I don't know. Oh, if oh you have that,
3: and that explains. Um, a lot
1: of them. Yeah, if uh, yeah, I really—if this is an arms race between little gold men, we and are a grass the war, I hardly accept it because it benefits podcast. me. <laughs> we
3: we are building this from the ground up. We're
2: the first burn- yes. standards.
3: <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen
2: to us. So, listen.
1: So Mark us. Ruffalo will like fighting. We're in not war funded war. by the banks here on fighting in the war. I can safely room.
3: say that our podcast has never taken any money from the banks.
1: <laughs> except for like our yeah, personal but not from.
3: Uh, we have not received any speaking fees from uh, from Goldman Sachs over $600,000 no. in speaking fees in one year
1: although would we yes, accept absolutely. them yes and probably that's at this anyway, point, yeah. not to go on a
3: rant here but if the banks want to spend $600,000 <laughs> $600, their own shitty money I mean they're already so much anyway <laughs> let's, let's,
2: let's not up-topic. go on a rant are we here.
0: doing a podcast for Goldman Sachs no. is that what I am
2: <laughs> no we're doing a podcast <laughs> for the people
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh sponsored content from Goldman Sachs. We welcome that. Uh give us give us a ring. <laughs>
0: J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot Productions has unleashed a surprise trailer on another Michael Bay movie. This time, it is not Transformers and a surprise big monster movie called Cloverfield. But it is a smaller movie about three people in a bunker attached to Michael Bay's 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi.
1: The bunker is not well, attached yeah. to the movie,
0: just the trailer. Well, we, to, be to be fair, we don't we know we what don't know. the bunker no, no. is attached it to. It could be in Yeah, Benghazi. the bunker may, may, may or may not be in Benghazi. <laughs> 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 that would really
1: be the What twist. a political <laughs> statement that would make. <laughs>
0: Uh, but it's the most interesting thing about this trailer, well, besides the fact that we had vague ideas that there was a movie coming uh, called Valencia that was being directed by Dan Trachtenberg, probably best known for doing a Portal uh, fan film that sort of went around the internet and then briefly being attached to a Why the Last Man film adaptation before those rights, he also had a podcast, it right?
2: Isn't that he of- did? And on, yeah.
3: Uh, he
2: field if i recall <laughs> anyway uh, <laughs> yeah well i'm glad that podcast is not around so that we can be higher up on the top 100 every every slot but anyway for me totally.
1: It's all it's all it's all
0: about yeah. us that's right well we could probably go back thanks to you know the magic of the internet and hear him trash what is now being described as a blood relative to his movie which was called valencia which is about a girl named a girl played by mary elizabeth winstead probably not named mary elizabeth winstead that'd be funny though uh who wakes up uh in a bunker with a character played by john goodman and another character played by john gallagher jr and they claim that something horrible has happened they need to stay in the bunker uh but she might be there uh against her will for other more nefarious reasons um we don't know much about it outside of the trailer but it does seem interesting that the trailer fades up the word cloverfield first since it doesn't look like nor are there any indications that this film is going to have a giant monster <laughs> created by the japanese o company
2: it's certainly one uh, way to market your film right like just convince people it's a sequel even if it isn't
0: yeah, it
1: is a really interesting future tactic. Like, here's my, my low budget thriller that I'm going to vaguely connect. I mean, I guess that's like a, a film by M. Night Shyamalan that turned a what was the yeah, other movie? But Devil. I, yeah. I don't think that's necessarily
3: what's happened here. They've been talking about making another. I mean, they've been talking about making another Cloverfield movie for yes. years. A Cloverfield
1: sequel has. Although yeah, Drew has, Goddard has, would tell
3: you it. that they were not going to make a Cloverfield yeah, until sequel, I convinced so. them otherwise. Uh right. my, my repeated oh, mail-writing campaign a la uh, Greenberg. <laughs> <laughs> your attempts to make a Cloverfield <laughs> film, you have succeeded beyond my wildest expectations, but your follow-through has, in a word, sucked. Uh, they. No, oh, wow. I love Cloverfield. I love it for the one-off that it is, um, and for it, all the stuff that Dave seems to really like about the extra-textual life of movies, um, I think is actually used to make that a, a better experience. Uh, in one of the rare cases... Uh, where I think that the marketing stuff has actually been used for good, weaponized in effective ways. And so I'm very much on the Cloverfield bandwagon. I I really enjoy that movie. Uh,
2: Right, because a lot of what people were talking about when Cloverfield came out was not in the movie whatsoever. You're bringing all of this marketing info to the table, and it it never shows its face.
1: So, okay, you know, Katie
2: so, saw watched, this movie for the first yeah. time.
1: I watched Cloverfield <laughs> for the first time today, which I don't re- I, I was a 20 something New Yorker when it came out. I don't know why I didn't see it, but I didn't. Um, and I remember like there being the Slush Show website and like people chasing clues in the trailers, but I don't remember the marketing that well. well so remind me what were was, people were I mean, chasing after.
2: There was stuff. No one knew what the monster right. was going to so, look like. So there was a lot of speculation yes. that it was some sort of whale, and other people thought this was a Voltron found footage movie but I for was some less reason. reason. Oh, boy. In
3: the marketing lead up to the film than i was in the various miscellany of material that they had for people who had already seen the movie which is part of the reason the whole thing appealed to me because i think this whole uh you know wild goose chase of information about movies before they come out um really just feels cynical what came out uh, afterwards they was uh, and i i mean i truth be told i don't know if this information came out afterwards or if I was only interested in digging around it after I saw the movie because, again, right. you people have a fucking psychosis to care about things before you've seen <laughs> the product. Uh,
1: David was a younger anyway. man in 2008. Well, yeah. pla- anyway. As, as
2: you're saying, it's not caring about, in this case, it's not caring about the movie before it comes out. It's, it's following a story that's being told well, before. It's, it's an I think extension the ethos the story is that, that, that it's, it's about how For the me, monster emerged. it's murders. that I yeah. saw
3: the movie and was interested in knowing more, uh, and I liked how the movie tied into it. I liked... The stuff is built into the movie, in the last shot in particular. Uh, Katie, I don't know if you caught this in your first walk wa- uh, watch of the film today, but you can see a spaceship crashing into the ocean off Coney Island in the last shot, and... Yeah, and so there's this whole trail that goes to the oil rig that the Cloverfield monster destroyed on its way to New York, and that ties into the company and the slush show and all this shit, and uh, it's all – you can all find this on the internet still, Um, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the fact that the mystery box element that has become so synonymous with J.J. Abrams was uh, maintained even during the movie, unlike something like Super 8, uh, which really laid all his cards at the table – um, Cloverfield, mm-hmm. by design, by the way the movie is shot and told very subjectively from these characters who are going through it, you never really know more than they do, um, leaves so much to the imagination, which is part of the reason I think it's so powerful. I also love that they brutally murder all the characters at the end. Uh, spoiler. spoiler. Uh, you've had time. but uh, I, So I don't <laughs> yeah. think that uh, so i was aware of valentia i happen to be very high on uh, a lot of drugs but also on john gallagher jr and mary elizabeth winstead and so the idea of them doing a movie together has been something that i've been looking forward to um i didn't even know who was directing it to be honest or whatever but uh the i don't see it as of now and of course who knows what we'll learn as a sequel necessarily so much as um, another piece of this larger puzzle that creates to this mythology that they're building, um, and that for me is interesting. I do think that they will see it is coming out on IMAX. So I, while I don't believe that we're going to see giant monsters necessarily, uh, this is going to be a bigger movie than three people trapped in a room. Um, and and you think it will tie into like the bigger picture
2: of the Clover, the first Cloverfield movie? Absolutely. Do you think that? You know, if something fl- falls from no, the sky. I, it's not going
3: to be like Batman inter- v Superman. Connected events. It's not going to be like I mean. Batman v Superman no, you that's see not like what I mean. the shot from the first movie from a different perspective in the second. Uh, it would not be my anticipation. It's not what I expect. I, but I do think that um, maybe in a way that. I don't know how explicit it's going to be, if it's going to be obvious or really only for people who dug through all the viral stuff. But all, it seems rather self-explaned. self evident that there's going to be some connections to. Cloverfield.
2: But do you think there's a danger there? Like it, it is fun to me to have these kind of very loosely connected stories. But I'm also like I wanna I wanna get a Cloverfield sequel too. That's not But What fun. is a Cloverfield and sequel? I wonder if a yeah, lot what, of people what
1: would you want in a Cloverfield sequel?
2: I'm not I mean, I'm not even sure. I just like the idea, the prospect of continuing directly whatever was going on. You know, in this larger story they were telling online, I just thought there was a lot to mine but there. And maybe this I movie will do that, I think too. From all accounts, that's I not the case, because they've been having test screenings, that sort of thing, where people have been saying it's, it's more like a one-off twilight. Well, I okay, think great. so. But, like, so I'm, I'm just saying be- that the marketing, by, by emphasizing Cloverfield, 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 do you end up kind of painting a picture that's not going to be there and... I don't know. Would you? Well, I mean, feel that's, that's the thing that's at risk
0: for. here. But there's not a lot to lose because I don't think mm. there actually is interest in doing a Cloverfield. Film. No, there is for me. I think if that were to happen, uh, that but happened I think already.
3: that it's going to split the difference. I think that this is going to be a movie that will, you know, hopefully work for. You know, it'll certainly try to work for right. people who have no prior relationship with uh, this whatever series or whatever you want to call it in movies. Um, but I think that there will be some crossover. Uh, but I think that a Cloverfield sequel, Patches, to answer what you were saying, I, I think the way that story was told, there isn't a route for a direct sequel that's in the same style right. of that movie. Um, I'm not even saying that right. I would You don't want, want to see that, that attack like, from I, a different w- perspective. This is old news. Uh, right. The only thing that could happen is like, <laughs> oh, now there's, in the traditional Hollywood route, now there's like 12 Cloverfields attacking a city at once. <laughs> and it's like, once we've <laughs> sort of lost the luster of that perspective i think the found footage thing works well for that movie but may not be replicable i think that it really um doesn't lend itself to a sequel as we understand sequels to be i think that the mythology lends itself extremely well to a story that's told in an entirely different genre almost um and certainly with a different style i mean using name actors for one thing um and not uh you know found footage aesthetic is uh it's a huge change for, for these movies. And uh, I think that even the title alone is enough to stir the imagination. So no matter how tangentially it connects to Cloverfield, have the, having those cogs whirring, not only do you get the, the bonus financially of the brand recognition, what little there is for it. Um, I think that you know it's so hard to launch new property these days. Uh, but I think that you'll have that imagination whirring and all the people that do care and that will enhance the experience for them, and I'm sure there'll be some rewards for them as well. So I think it's fun.
1: What was exciting to me about finally seeing Cloverfield, is like because I you know, had heard enough about it plenty, but it was way better than it really needed to be. And having seen Matt Reeves and Drew Goddard's work since then, kind of seeing the two of them working together on this and knowing why they had these careers that launched out of there, and seeing this kind of imaginative, really... You know, a playground with a lot of room to grow, as opposed to you know launching your career as a uh, franchise director on a big franchise like Colin Trevorrow did. And so, if Dan Trachtenberg is as talented and interesting a filmmaker as Matt Reeves, and I feel like the interesting thing about this is you get audience in there off the brand recognition, and then you give someone room to really play around and kind of show what they're able to do. And that is like a really powerful part of the Cloverfield brand. Huh. That'd be excited to see. And it's not continue. like Star
3: Wars where there or Marvel where there are such. Tight restrictions on what you can do. No, there's no rules. And so I think that it's super fun because the stakes are kind of low uh, and the potential dividends are high. And I went from going Mm -hmm. from a movie that I was interested in seeing because of the actors to having a very rare, for me, uh, like a very excited franchise connection where I'm just, and I think it's only because I have the sky is the limit as to what they can do. So I really don't know, nor do I care to learn. Before I see the movie, um, what sort of connections they make? I think it'll be really interesting.
1: Can uh, if we're done with this, can I do a Cloverfield geography complaint that I don't think I've heard? They shot it in L.A. Before? We so. could. <laughs> okay, yes, we, they shot it in L.A. And I've heard people complain about how they like walk from uh, you know Lafayette Street to 59th Street in like ten minutes, but through so a subway. Yeah, through the subway and with rats and everything. But there's this whole thing where they they stop in an electronics store and they see the monster attacking Lower Manhattan. And they're saying on CNN, like, Lower Manhattan, this is happening. And then immediately after, the guy decides he's going to go to Midtown. And they go, Midtown, that's where the monster is. And you look uptown and you see the monster. That doesn't make any sense. Do they just forget where Lower Manhattan is? Is the monster supposed to have just moved fast? The monster does move fast. I know. But, like, we have just seen him in Lower Manhattan and everyone knows that's where he is. And then immediately they decide he's in Midtown.
3: I don't know. I did appreciate that they used the uh, the Columbus Circle Towers to...
1: Oh, my God. That yeah. was so cool. I did not know that was in there. I can't believe yeah, I that didn't was, know that. That was fun. You know, eight years later, but that was really cool. Ten- no, there's, a, there's so much cool stuff in that. That's just one thing. Just drove me crazy.
0: We should also mention, in case I didn't... Cause I think I forgot. Ten Cloverfield Lane comes out in March, so we'll have we'll have answers to all these things sooner than we usually do. Yes. which is uh, nice. Which,
1: yeah. And we can have fun... Uh, unfavorably comparing... uh, And
3: realistically, I mean, I don't... I think, you know, realistically, (laughs) you can't do in film at this level what you could in music. I mean, someone will find a way with a really cost-effective film, but you you can't... You have to give it that two-month leeway. You know, you can't drop the Beyoncé album, so... Sort of the best of both worlds.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two-month leeway in movies. Like, that's that is dropping the Beyoncé album.
0: So... (laughs) <laughs> Coverfield Lane
1: is the equivalent is the of the Beyonce
0: album <laughs> Equals Beyonce
1: That's not unfair expectations at all <laughs>
0: Um, uh, We recently were debating something in between recording segments of this show that we thought was something that we had to bring into public debate because it was just such an interesting question. We uh, occasionally gender-swap cast uh, movies because, you know, Ghostbusters, it's a thing that happens these days.
1: I believe we did that as a lightning round question. Yes, we probably we did, and this is probably how this, this came out.
0: Yes. Uh, we got, all got stuck on one, so we're going to revisit. Here's your gender-swapping assignment that we're going to work on for today's mini-segment. We need to cast a male Marissa Tomei in a gender-swapped my cousin Vinny. Katie, wasn't Wark- there backstory to this, Katie? Like, what, what, the I why I don't were
1: remember. <laughs> Joanna and I were talking about it on G Chat, and I think I don't remember why my cousin Vinny was chosen as the, uh, the version of that. Um, I think she might have a good answer for this. It might have been like literally a typo. Um, and I do think, like, there's a challenge, and you know, you got to get a female Joe Pesci, which isn't easy, but I do think the Marissa Tomei role is the one that everyone remembers and would be the hardest to recast. But. <clears throat>
2: Like, can you, you quickly see- describe her in that movie again, just one more so time? She,
1: oh, let me. I keep, to, <laughs> I, I keep wanting to say her name is Mona Lisa Saperstein, but that is Jenny Slate on, uh, on Parks and Recreation. <laughs> um, but she's like this very, you know, like gum popping, like trashy Queens woman wearing like all black leather who winds up. Her, no, her name is Mona Lisa Vito. I was so close. Pretty close. <laughs> um, and she winds up in the Southern town, and you think she's kind of just like this dumb bimbo girlfriend. And then in this pivotal court scene, spoiler alert. Um, She knows a ton about cars and kind of cracks the case with her uh, knowledge from working in an auto body shop. She
2: won an Oscar.
1: She won an Oscar for the role. It's like one of the very few comedic performances that's ever won an Oscar. So uh, good for her. Marissa Tomei is very talented. Um, And so if you've seen the Lily Tomlin movie Grandma, which I put in my top ten we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, Nat Wolf has this very tiny role as this kind of uh, dipshit boyfriend who um, the uh, other female lead, uh, Lily Tomlin's granddaughter, is dating. Um, and he's, I've seen him as kind of like an amiable geek, like he was in this movie Admission, he was in Paper Towns, which I didn't see, um, and also had the supporting role in Fault in Our Stars, but he does such a good job playing a slime ball, and I think has really good comedic timing, and I would love to see him, uh, take on, uh, male Lisa Vito, however you want to call him. Mm. Everyone should see Grandma.
0: Yeah.
2: For some reason... (sighs) I don't know who who is. We don't have any. Where where is she, um, Marissa Tomei from? Is she? Um, she's a Brooklyn. You, she's a Brooklyn you gotta gal. I believe. Be New York. Uh, you know, I was thinking uh, about born in Brooklyn. Yeah, like Brooklyn actors. And I was I watched The Intern this past weekend, and I was thinking about Robert De Niro. Yeah,
1: Wolf is also in The Intern.
2: Yes, for like two seconds. That's very <laughs> strange.
1: Said, yeah, he's he's getting good at these two second roles. I
2: just feel like we don't have any like hard Brooklyn actors. What about Emery have...
1: Emery hey. Cohen. So maybe Emery hey. Cohen's
2: the answer here. <laughs> um,
1: uh, Well, so, okay, so Channing Tatum, I feel like, is what an obvious casting director would go for. Does that not feel right to you?
3: Channing me? Tatum feels right in I
1: every role. I don't
2: think role. he's. I think Marissa <laughs> Tomei is a smart, slapsticky comedian. She's not. Like, Channing Tatum throws his weight around, if that makes sense. His very clean cut, uh, bulky, muscular weight. But he doesn't seem that smart or sharp to Mm. me. No offense, Channing Tatum. Marissa Um, Tamay, very smart. Especially in her later stuff.
1: My best argument for Channing Tatum would be his supporting role in The Dilemma, the... uh Pretty terrible Kevin James movie, oh um, which is like the first I think funny Channing Tatum I remember seeing. Who does he uh, play
2: really, in that? Is he the guy? He that, plays uh, he, when who's I think he's his
1: Winona Ryder's boyfriend, and he has this fish tank that he cares a lot about, and he's just he's really silly. And this came out like a couple months before Twenty One Jump Street, so I saw it and I was like, oh, he's really funny. And then Twenty One Jump Street kind of proved how much he could do.
2: God, so I guess. Emery Cohen, Nat Wolff, and maybe Channing Tatum. If Channing <laughs> Tatum to do a Brooklyn accent. There's just no good Brooklyn actors anymore. Well, wait, okay, happening.
0: maybe maybe Where we're thinking
2: about it the wrong way. Maybe and it's Dave Franco. Maybe it's not Dave Franco. A t- does a De Niro?
0: Maybe it's not like an Italian going south. Maybe it's like a Michael B. Jordan going south this time. Mm. But still actually, doing Michael oh. B. Jordan
2: oh. for me is the like young De Niro right now. I don't know why I'm hung up on De Niro being. The male, De Niro Marissa was Tome. not in My
1: Cousin Men you were aware of that right? no
2: no but De Niro is Marissa Tomei <laughs> Tome male and older <laughs> so then you go back from that and then I think so Michael B. Where Jordan is, is actually a great Tom-
1: where's Marissa Tomei's Raging Bull um, Who?
0: Yeah, I, well, I was saying to
1: Patches uh, earlier this week that I want Michael B. Jordan to have Denzel Washington's 90's career where he could literally do anything and everyone would accept him in it. so yeah sure
2: Michael yeah. B. Jordan yeah. for everything basically I just want to say, before we wrap this up, though, that, like, if they were just going to remake My Cousin Vitty, I was the, You know, I I, I want Gabourey Sidibe to play that role. I'm obsessed Played with Gabourey Sidibe. Yeah. She's
1: really funny on Empire.
2: She's really funny. She can do dramatic. I mean, I know it's not the gender swap, but if they're going to, like, do a new version, Gabriel
0: Sidibe.
1: Let her play Vinny.
0: She should play Vinny. This is perfect.
1: Gabby Sidibe and, and Michael wolf, B. Jordan. my cousin Vinny would make me... Go, <laughs> go south.
0: Ben- to... Uh, to, to... Solve a trial.
1: Or maybe they're from the South and they go to like modern day Brooklyn. Oh.
0: This
2: sounds incredible.
0: <laughs> no, I feel like Why did we not really win the movie? Powerball? <laughs> <laughs> Why do we not know the person who won the Powerball?
1: <laughs> if you won the Powerball and you want to help us make this movie, give us a
0: call. <laughs> or if you have a better answer, which is going to be hard, but by all means, give it a try at fightinginthewareroom.com in the comment section. <laughs> This December 18th, Netflix decided to throw its hat into the true crime genre, which has seen a resurgence with things like uh, the serial podcast being the most like downloaded podcast ever, investigating the first season, at least, the case of Adnan Syed. And uh, HBO's uh, The Jinx, which uh, gave us a really creepy look at Robert Durst and maybe had one of the better true crime series conclusions, I think I've seen, as a sort of uh, fan of the genre. But uh, Netflix decided to put out something called Making a Murderer, which is a 10-episode season. Uh, Each episode is about 50 to 60 minutes uh, that tracks the story of Stephen Avery, a man who in Wisconsin in the late 80s was convicted of rape, 18 years later was vindicated by DNA evidence, and then this series follows his uh, trial uh, for the murder of some uh, another woman uh, that is being handled by the exact same attorneys that he was being sued by at the time that they were investigating him. And uh, it's, you know, kicked up a whole bunch of uh, mess online about whether or not we should revisit this case if, uh, you know, there's some White House got gov petitions to get Stephen Avery uh, pardoned by the president. Although and it I seems think the
2: president, I think the White House commented on that and said they were not going to pursue true. a pardon for him and that could be left up to the state.
0: It's interesting because it's the second time, I mean, of the like three examples that I mentioned, people seem to be obsessed with this case being retried and the Adnan Syed case being retried. But I think because Jinx ended like it did with an arrest, like I haven't heard an update from that, but there wasn't like an outcry from it. The,
1: there would have been had he not been arrested i'm sure
0: probably but there's also this interesting question or it's like i keep trying to tell people bring up things about the Stephen avery case that like either were or were not in the documentary uh, like he, it's so interesting to me that this documentary took the form of a 10 episode uh like netflix bingeable series because by the end of it each episode was less individually captivating to me, and I sort of started feeling like the weight of what it's like to sit down and watch ten hours of something. You slowly realize, like, is only going to end one way. And then I assumed I didn't like it when I like ended it. I thought it was a you know an ine- ine- inelegant conclusion to the series. But as more and more people started attaching itself to it and I found myself talking about it, I realized that I had sort of, if you assume that the filmmakers, uh, Laura Riccardi and Moria Demos know what they're doing, that the way, if this documentary is solely about how the legal system doesn't work and isn't about the actual murder crime, that like I was supposed to feel as worn down as I was by episode, you know, eight through 10 (laughs) and that that that's the function of the documentary. Uh, I guess you can
2: but, assume that they know that they're doing that.
0: Well, I mean, otherwise it sort of seems <laughs> weird. Like there's like the whole last episode is basically searching for, a I don't know, a light point of hope when you know there isn't going to be one because you've just watched nine other episodes about how everybody gets away with everything all the time.
2: But doesn't that make you seem like they they don't really know what this show is about? They just know they have a really... Hot button topic on their hands that can be very viral. I I admit that I only made it through five episodes because I found the experience to be grueling—not emotionally, Mm -hmm. but just uh, on on a formal level. I think it's a really bad. Yeah, it's just a poorly made made show. It's it's. I um, mean the the editing I think is terrible. It's there's a lot of filler content, a lot of repetitive content. Um this is probably something that would have flourished in five episodes, probably been just as buzzy, but that's not what Netflix demanded. You know, Netflix bought this. They'd been sitting on this project for years, it sounds like and, and I think that really shows in making a murder. And everything that's really come to life um about this film or this this series seems to have stemmed just from other people doing more work and writing about it that's what seems more interesting to me i've definitely read more about the case and
3: uh, like you
2: said dave there's a lot of people who come to the defense of making a murderer say that it's about the system but i find that so much of the other true crime uh whether it's serial whether it's um we'll touch on it in a second, probably, but the people versus o j ryan Murphy's new television show about the o j k something we know or we think we know all about already there's no there's no twists there's no revelations perhaps to be found that is much more revealing and about the system than anything making a murder does and i'm I'm surprised it 's really taken off. With the zeitgeist, everyone you know, Kim Kardashian tweeting today that she got a Netflix account just to watch Making Why a Murderer, or, or um, William freeking yeah, calling it what? William Freeking calling it the greatest well, documentary he's William ever Frieden seen. It says a lot of things on Twitter, what? but I
3: think that you know, Patch is to, to <laughs> sort of play devil's advocate to your point about the uh, yeah. the show, the real merit of the show maybe being the conversations, the work that it inspired other people to do. I mean, isn't there some validity to the idea that a show like this is meant to function as a prompt in a uh, fallible justice system. It's meant to spur people who like to think the, about, like yeah, to thin spur people to think about things that they might otherwise not think about. In the abstract, I mean, the Thin Blue Line was about one person in particular, and it ended up playing an instrumental role in reversing his case. But I think that in a situation like this, like I don't know, I have no, I only saw one episode of the show, so my personal investment in Stephen Avery and everything else is limited. But I think that it can only be a good thing if I've definitely seen some people who have maybe taken the wrong lessons away from the show but i i think that uh america as a whole could do worse than to reflect on their justice system
0: that's Why? yeah i think that's most mostly what frustrates me is like a lot of this extra work that you're talking about patches is, is about the case and i just think that's completely missing the point and I think, like, if, you know, if we were meant to retry the case in public, then we would have had all the evidence presented in this 10-episode documentary series. But the things they circle back to hit on is more like what the media was reporting, how people are responding to this trial, and just sort of the idea that, like, this system collapses in a certain way and it can be manipulated. And I think that's what David's saying, is that it should cause the conversation. But, like... What? I guess serial serial was about reporting. This is right. about the justice system. I just I think my
2: complaints are more pragmatic. I guess in a way, like people are going to spend if you put a Netflix series that's ten episodes in front of them, and every episode is a slog that ends with a page turning moment, like Dan Brown approved. Ending to an episode like they 're going to keep binging they 're going to keep going, they just want to get to the end, uh, and the media helps create this kind of it 's automatically zeitgeisty because there 's nothing else to talk to talk about at the end of December. It was the perfect launch of the show i mean just right. brilliant on netflix 's part, but it is not interesting like tell me about what you learn about the system in episode three and then in episode eight like i 'd be interested to hear how this uh this series grows it and nurtures its drama not just the point i just feel like it makes its point right up front and it's not about anything like tell me it's about the system but you could do it in one episode
0: i mean that's very possible but then does that stick with you to the degree where it's like i don't know uh yeah because it's bad i know it's bad Well, there's a difference between watching Paradise Lost, like, when it came out, and being able to just watch all three Paradise Lost documentaries, right? That's essentially what this is, because they've been following it for, like, ten years. There are enough twists on it that by the end of the series, you start seeing the echoes of the bad decisions that were made at the beginning of the series, which ends up being, like, eight years of time. So you end up talking to Stephen Avery's parents you know, over a you know arc of like seven years. So it's interesting in that sense. I, I don't think I could convince you that if you feel like you got it, that you are going to have a benefit of hearing it over and over again, except that, right. you know, you I, have the benefit of binging and turning it off if you don't, where like it's trying to send the message that entire people's lives are centered around this and they have no choice about it.
2: You know, we, we throw around a term when we talk about things like Fault in Our Stars, bring up Nat Wolf movie. Uh, <laughs> grief porn. Nat wolf theme of this episode. Right? Yeah. Like, what is grief porn? Grief porn is just this emotion, this sucking feeling. Like, you can't look away, but you want to feel this... this you want to feel the sucking this, feeling. Yeah, suck me off, okay. grief porn. Uh, whoa, <laughs> that's, a, whoa, whoa. that's a whole different grief porn. Anyway, <laughs> what, what I'm saying is, I think making a murder captures people or at least it just it chisels away at them, it erodes them, but they want they can't stop. Like it's just so sensational at every turn and it distracts people. It's it's not you know, I, I did not like and we discussed it on this podcast. I didn't love serial season one because it got out of Sarah Koenig's control that it became a who done it that was only throwing wood on the, the like Reddit fire and it was all about answers and i think that really changed audiences perception that like they they became addicted to who and the jinx played into this very much too and while making a murder isn't exactly a who done it uh it's still the the mechanics of how they've put the documentary together feed into that negative uh that negative desire that people need Answers or they need sensationalism to invest in reality programming that they can't just learn about the system they can't learn about something detailed and learn about something intricate, something american made, something government. Um, they have to have these kind of uh, this this uh, fishing hook dangling something in front of them at all times and there's been a real negative reaction to serial season two and i'd be interested to hear what you guys think about it if you've been listening to it but people don't like it they think it's kind of boring that's the general reaction i've been reading on twitter whatever i search for it that bo bergdahl's story you know he ran off his camp and he was captured by the taliban oh we already know all this stuff like what do we still have to learn if we know all the answers um and that's mm-hmm. what, Is that making really a murder- what people are saying yeah yeah, there's a- I mean,
1: I find Serial Season Two a little bit more boring, but not because I like don't need the answers, just because like I, there's not like a there's not like a thing that I'm trying to crack there is in terms i mean okay so the thing that i was trying to crack to begin with is like how much bo bergdahl is lying to himself or to us about his reasons for abandoning the camp and there's no sense to me there's not like a sense of building of a narrative being like here is what we are going to try to figure out over the course of this season there was a really obvious narrative direction but i would season one
2: totally disagree with that and that's so making a murder is grief porn because you just know that he's that, that that he's been violated by the system that everyone fucked him Um, And even if he's guilty of the murderer, the system is backwards and it's working on such an opposite level that it's supposed to. But with Serial Season 2, instead of the Adnan case where we're trying to free someone in a similar, similar situation to Stephen Avery, now we have someone who's about to go on trial, right? The government wants to fuck him even though he's been... Captured by the Taliban, you know, it guards Raider for what four years or something. Tortured five, five years. Um, here's a man who's who's gone through hell and back, and now he's going to be put on trial, possibly for a life sentence, a court-martialing, a life sentence. It hasn't happened yet, but now we're going to paint this picture for you before it happens. Can we get you angry enough before the man is fucked? And that doesn't so seem to. Capture you think it's, you
0: uh, think it's advocacy? No, you no, yeah,
2: no. That's. I'm not propaganda. saying it's advocacy. That's not advocacy. I'm not saying it's advocacy. I'm saying it is how we need to understand the man who's only been portrayed in the media, uh, in order to, under, to see if he deserves to be court martialed To see, see sure, if he deserves if to have him, like. him in the media. If that's media? the
1: objective, that's not been clear to me
0: by the show itself. No, I don't think that is the objective because it's what built into the second episode when she has to announce a, that.
2: Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, in the second episode, that's when we learned the court-martialing was going to be maybe a life sentence. Yeah, Yeah, they learned it. And that colors the whole series for me. That's the question behind every characterization of Bo, the characterization of his captors, and soon it will be the characterization of the military that did or didn't look for him.
0: It's because it's pre-trial action that makes that... It can't be what you're talking about because that's just so... I don't know That is think, what on, it's about That's what's okay, happening on, on one hand it seems incongruent with Sarah Koenig being like I wish less people cared about what I was doing To like what she's doing is building up to Getting people to tell the government To back the fuck off a military guy Like that seems oh, Because
1: of a story they've been able to tell
0: Before you know, his trial from, and they're and making like from a movie his, about From
1: these like phone conversations <laughs> Like it's like you're not I mean I assume that's coming but like the military's point of view In this has been very unrepresented
0: right I mean well, it's it just, about it, it, to be I think that's the next I'm sure yeah I'm sure coming. that's what's coming right I mean but it, it's uh serial is always to me been a show about reporting or at least it's something that I came to find at the end of season one and I still find about season two and so it's interesting to me because it's still doing reporting but it's not putting in the true crime hook that Patches you're talking about that gets people, like, really riled up. I think if, it, if its goal is to get people really riled up, that's really irresponsible of them because there will be a trial. I
2: don't, I don't think it's necessarily about getting people riled up. I think it's about characterization. Like, who is Bo? The fact that Bo is talking to these guys is insane, first off. He yes. has, has a hero complex. He has a serious problem. But you need to weigh that against... Everything that he's been through. And then, so they're not at, this is not advocacy. This is not pick up your pitchforks and go after the government. It's just understand something that has only been filtered through media spin. And this is the perfect segue. Katie, you and I have watched, and uh, David, I'm not sure if you have or not, but a bunch of The People versus OG, which is the new Ryan Murphy series coming in February. Murphy. But this is, nope. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, David, I have David, never it, made it through much of anything Ryan Murphy's ever Katie. made. I am.
2: 100% Life is short. No, it, it's exactly that
1: <laughs> I know It's so It's really good <laughs> And
2: it's not campy Even though it's about OJ Like, it it pulls it it's, all the it way back It's
1: campy only in the ways that It is about the circus with That with the was show the Is trial. Ryan Murphy Okay. He's the executive, executive producer. He not, directed, not but didn't... No. He directed oh. two episodes? He didn't
2: movies? write it. He but didn't write it. This is directed? from... Yeah. Um, oh, God. It's slipping my mind. But the two guys oh, who the wrote... Showrunners? um showrunners? Ed Wood and Big Eyes, which it might be an unfortunate credit, yeah. but Larry, what's his <laughs> Big name? And, Big
1: Eyes is not your best sell. No,
2: but Ed Wood and and those movies. So. Uh,
1: hang on. Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski.
2: Yeah, and this is a very taut thriller. I think it's really interesting how it takes all the players that we saw... You know, during this media circus and it confronts the media circus. But now here's something that's about the system. It's just about how and it's a really it's coming at a very strange time because I think it kind of both undermines and plays into a lot of the criminal activity we've seen from the police versus um, black America. You know, this this thing that's plaguing our criminal justice system. It's both being twisted by people like Johnny Cochran and OJ's team uh they 're playing the race card quote unquote, which is something the show directly confronts. He was accused of it during the time
1: it 's something the lawyers say to themselves' mm-hmm. this right exactly but they are
2: emoji. playing the race card yeah <laughs> well that 's a <the> thing yeah <laughs> but he, he but actually they said that and then and then that 's the thing that they he they trying to make him more black like they're the the way that it twists and turns throughout this case it 's just dynamite showing what was really happening and it 's based on a book. Um, tons of reporting done, and but the characterization. I think when I separate, when I put making a murder into one corner, I put serial season two and the People versus OJ into another. It's about characters. It's about understanding the people, and that is what these the, these series are about. It's it that's where making a murder fails because it's about an issue, and it's not about the people involved in that and trying to understand how this could all happen because of personality, because of ego, uh, and then the People versus OJ. Does that in spades? I think just the the lawyers, OJ himself. Who are all these crazy? Man, egos I really think friction? you need to
0: finish watching Making a Murderer before you say something. like I could that never.
2: I could never do it. Like I, I being, I'll take David's words. Life is too short for me to get <laughs> through this. Slog yeah, of a documentary.
1: That's why I mean, I by the time I, I was you know home for Christmas, not going to watch it. By the time I got back, I'd heard enough people be like, eh, "It wasn't worth finishing." Where I said, "Nope, life's too short for making a murder. Not going to do it." Well, there's like well,
0: one lawyer, like Dean Strang, who because how he comports himself through like the years of representing, has become like a Tumblr sensation for like. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a nice the thing. Kind of See, awesome when you day. say
1: someone's a Tumblr sensation, that's not a bigger self. If
0: for all people
2: ca- can talk about making murder is how hot the lawyers are, like, what is go? How is this documentary conveying its information, and like, wh- how does this
0: happen? <laughs> uh, people are not you talking should watch about the what end people are of the documentary. About. And if you're interested in the answer, to those questions.
2: That is what they made Wikipedia for.
0: I really now so,
2: want to convince David to watch The People versus OJ. Uh, the
1: People versus OJ, by the way, premieres on February 2nd, if
0: you're curious. Which it is going to be amazing. And uh, It is a 10-part it series.
1: It's going to be a big deal. And for, and for us, I mean, I think we all have memories of the OJ trial without really remembering... Like, having been old enough to understand the legal system in any I way. I still don't understand um, You know, we system. all remember... Yeah, most for the most part, we don't. I mean, there were just a lot of things about the trial that I didn't know or had forgotten. And also the extent to which... Los Angeles was really in the thick of racial issues in the early 90s. Like, I forget that police brutality was as much of an issue then as, you know, as it is now, at least specifically for L.A., thanks to the Rodney King riots. Um, and that it could be so – that that trial was so different because of that atmosphere. I mean, if the OJ trial happened today, it would be so different because of our different attitudes toward football, toward domestic violence, which was a huge element of it that kind of got overlooked with all the race stuff. Well, race There's so play, many layers to this. Factor. Race would play an enormous Indeed. role, too, but I think domestic violence would play a bigger role than it did then where it really got mm-hmm. downplayed because people didn't – I mean, uh, the, I think – so I, uh, I've been reading Jeffrey Tubin's book that the series is based on, which is how interested I've gotten in it. And the police <laughs> came to O.J. Simpson's house eight times on domestic violence calls wow. before he was actually charged with anything and because he had kind of paled around with the police and had talked his way out of it. And I don't think that would go – Unreported, essentially, the way that it did that. There's there's so much about culture.
2: The celebrity culture that devours all these facts. Yeah. It would be amplified as well. So it would be even but I more think difficult. Ce-
1: I think celebrity culture toward domestic violence is really different. I mean, Sean Penn's reputation as someone who may or may not have abused Yeah, and look at Sean. Really come forward Sean
2: Penn has been ago. so punished by, for that by getting exclusive bits and roles. Well, I'm not saying has uh, been punished, exclusive but it's, it's, it's inextricable
1: Stone. from his reputation. Or Ben <laughs> Roethlisberger. I mean, a lot of professional. Or Ray Rice. Like, when that happens now, people talk about it in a way that they didn't 20 years ago. There's just, I mean, and that, uh, this show makes you think about all of this stuff, even though it's also about like John Travolta doing this insane, wonderful performance as crazy lawyer Robert Shapiro. Well, that's. And uh, Connie Britton as socialite Faye Resnick kind of swanning around with a cigarette in her mouth. And Selma Blair as Kris Kardashian. Now, which is you are. So great. You're
2: painting the wrong picture here because these are very <laughs> minimal parts.
1: I know. Well, no, Ra- John Travolta is a big part. Travolta's is a big part, um, but he is
2: not a big, flashy performance. He's not going uh, over the top like the Kardashian well, women.
1: No, I mean it's it's not a big flashy of performance, but it's so it's so specific and detailed. And uh, Courtney B Vance's Johnny Cochran. Oh my is god! A, if, yeah, if this, he, lo- he is channeling. If Johnny People Cochran. versus OJ
2: was a movie, he would be sweeping sweeping awards. He's well, killer he as Johnny anyway. Cochran, but like uh, in a way that's yeah. not it's not a parody. This is something you no. know when Johnny Cochran is you know practicing his lines or like getting in someone's face about racial matters, and like he there's there's a good reason to think that. Um, race-motivated Okay, okay, sort of after Sunday I'll it. watch this
3: stupid show Please.
1: But also, so at, the, at TCA recently they did a panel and they said that the show doesn't really take a stance on whether or not OJ did it which I think is blatantly false Like, in the first episode you see the crime scene and all of the things that the cops said happened, which the defense team later said could have been planted by racist cops I don't know, it it seems very... He definitely did
2: it, but the system, again, here's the thing, it's almost like if Stephen Avery did it. The system we can still see is working it's so backwards. Everything is fucked up. Jen, Judge Edo is a complete fame whore. The the police who investigate OJ are racists, you know, it's or Nazis, well, neo-Nazis. Are, well,
1: it's, well, or interested in Nazi memorabilia. It is insane. Or you see uh, Marsha Clark, who's kind of, I mean, she's a good guy. She's like, she's in the, you know, wants to get justice for this woman who was abused by her husband and then killed, but she's so blind to race issues. She just can't see what's coming toward her. So it's kind of this slow motion nightmare that you know OJ is going to get acquitted and you know, that he did it and you're just watching how this, you know, all of this evidence that pointed to him doing it kind of fell apart in the face of this circus. It's it's really fascinating.
2: Yeah, tabloids. I would never want to be in one. They really look scary. That's the <laughs> the scariest thing in OJ is everyone, normal people being front page news and like star or whatever.
0: And uh, also,
1: uh, Robert Morris of Mad Men plays Dominic Dunn, oh, yeah. a Vanity Fair contributor, which is <laughs> very entertaining to me.
0: So, are all these things because we're like the cumulative Uh, sum total of all these things we're supposed to like more actively take a look at what we're told about our legal system you mean what should we do is that too wide of a net I'm just talking like what like it's not surprising to me that the fictionalized account is the one that we're all finding the most entertaining of the stuff that we're bringing up
1: Well, yeah, because the Sandra Bland case is too horrifying to to consider so we get the fictionalized version of it. I mean, I think as a, you know, someone who's white and raised in a small town, like the idea that you would ever not trust a cop never occurred to me. But it it has become abundantly clear to me in the last few years why so many people grow up with that attitude. I I think we are having a different uh, way of framing authority in recent years that might lead to the popularity
0: of this stuff. I like that better than what I said let's pretend I said (laughs) that I thought
1: that was what you were trying to say
0: yes exactly that was exactly what I was trying to say (laughs)
1: great uh, all of us white uh, uh, sheltered children have learned uh, how (laughs) scary the cops can be yep
0: it's a new thing we all discovered in 2015 (laughs) now we're with you
1: better late than never I suppose (laughs) that does it for today's fighting in the war room we'll be back on Friday uh, due to popular demand talking about the revenant which uh I have had to convince some people to talk about so it should be very fun. We're basically uh, crawling
2: our, our way through the snow and brush. Yeah, I am brush. the and
1: I have forced <laughs> you guys to crawl through the snow to escape. Reviewing
2: the Revenant is my Revenant.
1: <laughs> In the meantime, tell the people who you are.
2: I am Matt Patches. I'm the entertainment editor of Thrillist.com and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. Remember, we have a website, FightingInTheWarRoom.com, where you should tell us who will play the gender-swapped uh, Marissa Tomei or tell me your favorite, Gabourey Sidibe moment either works fighting I'm
3: David Ehrlich I'm a staff writer at Rolling Stone I'm also a critic for Slate uh, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich you can find all of us together on Facebook <laughs> at fighting in the war room
1: great pause
0: not only am I trying to bring David and Patches closer together I have successfully merged the Facebook page in Fightinginthewarroom.com. so if you leave a comment on one it'll go to the other So you guys can all fight vaguely in the same place I'm Dave Gonzalez Yeah, that's right Well, one big giant internet war room (laughs) Uh, My name is Dave Gonzalez I spell my first name D-A-7-E I write for Latino-Review.com and Geek.com I also will be doing other podcasts on this network That'll start popping up on probably Thursdays This week will be the Return of the Thought Bubble Which is about comic books and comic book culture Uh, it's, It's gonna be pretty sweet
1: Hey uh, I'm Katie Rich, you can find me at VanityFair.com uh, and also on Twitter at KatieRich K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H and all of us are on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R where we uh, talk to each other so that you can favorite those conversations and also uh, share this week's lightning round question, which you can answer what was it?
0: In honor of Dirty Grandpa which nobody has seen on this podcast so maybe it doesn't end up being good but what's a movie where you thought an actor was slumming it but it ended up being good?
1: Uh, Thank you for listening, and we'll be back uh, bear growling at you on Friday.